0: Good morning, Orchard. Good to see you guys today. Take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, turn to the book of Genesis one more time, as today we'll be concluding our summer series called Beginnings, Stories in Genesis, and we're concluding with one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the story of Joseph we've been looking at the last few weeks. If you're using one of the Bibles, you may have picked up at the door, it's on page 19 this morning, page 19. I introduced you a few weeks ago to a man named Joseph a uh, very instrumental man in the Bible and when we first met him he was 17 years old and God had given him this amazing dream and it wasn't just a dream that he had cuz he had, had bad pizza the night before or chili it was a God given dream we know that because we know the end of his story that this dream comes true and he gets this god-sized dream he's super excited about it he's sharing it with his brothers he's telling it to his family they weren't as excited about it because in this dream he's the youngest of these brothers except for one and he's telling them one day i'm gonna be in this position of authority and power and you guys are gonna all bow down to me well the older brothers didn't take very kindly to that and so joseph's dream quickly ends ends up being a desert time for his life he goes from a dream to a time of desert in his life because his brothers uh, find a way to get rid of him. He comes out to meet them in a field. Uh, they decide to throw him into a pit. They're g- First they're going to leave him for dead and then Judah has an idea. Why don't we sell him into slavery? And so he goes from a pit to being a slave. And then last week we saw that when we finished uh, in chapter 40 a couple of weeks ago, he was thrown into prison. He ended up going down to Egypt. Um, he was in a, a man's house named Potiphar. He was his right-hand man. Even though he was a slave, he uh, put him in a position of authority and then Potiphar's wife you know tried to get him to sleep with her and then lied about him and you have to read the whole story if you don't know the story but he's falsely accused he's trying to honor God and do what is right but he ends up in prison and while he's in prison, there's a couple of uh, Pharaoh who's the, the ruler of the land. A couple of his people, the butler and the baker, end up in prison. And, he, and when they go back, when the butler goes back, he tells him, you know, hey, if you'll tell Pharaoh about me, don't forget me. Maybe he'll get me out of here. But when we left off last time, what happened? Did the butler remember Joseph in prison? No, he completely forgot him. And so we ended in chapter 40 seeing that he had just been forgotten by the butler, but he wasn't forgotten by God. And so we've been following Joseph on this journey from a dream to the desert, but ultimately to a a destiny. And Joseph's destiny, even though he was forgotten by the butler, is about to come true. And and I'd like to describe it this way. We're kind of watching the seasons of Joseph's life. And just like Joseph went through these different seasons from a dream to a desert to a destiny. We go through different seasons in our life. If you agree, say yes. We have these different seasons that we go through in our life. If you meet someone that tells you they're always in a good season of life, you know what we call them? In denial. In denial, because nobody always has a great season. I mean, we go through ups and downs. You know, one of the things I I love about living in Colorado is the change of the seasons. Anybody else with me? I I love the change of seasons. Um, I I don't know what it would be like to live somewhere like, you know, Seattle. You know, we got the Norbies here, they're from Seattle. You know, I I can't imagine living in some place where you have, you know, basically they have like, you know, three seasons. They have the rainy season, the really rainy season, the monsoon season. Followed by two weeks of drying out season then back to rainy season. I couldn't handle that I just you know or being from the deep south any guys from the deep south You know where you have the hot season the really hot season the hot as hell season I I just I couldn't handle that. I, I love the change of the different seasons the four seasons we're, we're going into fall right now and it feels like fall this morning It's a little cool even in here and and I love the change of seasons But we go through seasons in our life as well. And we may like the change of seasons and weather, but we don't always like the change of seasons in our life. And Joseph went through different changes in seasons. And, And most of the season we've been looking at is the desert season. He spent over 20 years in this desert season between his dream and arriving at the destiny that God had for him. And here's what's interesting. In the desert season... When Joseph was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery and then put in prison and people had forgotten him, he didn't know if anything was going to get better. He didn't know for sure. I mean, he had this dream he was holding on to, but he didn't know the end of the story for sure. We do because we've got the Bible and we know how it ends. And so we tend to read his story through those eyes like, well, we know how it's going to end. so we go, we watch the desert season of his life and it's not as bad to us, but it was bad to Joseph. I mean, 20 years of not knowing for sure how the season was going to end. Wouldn't it be nice if we always knew how the season of our life was going to end? Wouldn't that be nice if we knew what the end of the story was going to be? You know, that's one reason why God has given us this book, the Bible. So we can know the end of the story. I've read the end of this book, and the end of the story for believers in Christ ends good. No matter how difficult the seasons of our life here and now are, it ends good. But God also tucks in these beautiful stories like Joseph to help us to learn that God has a purpose and a plan for the different seasons of our life and he has a good ending if we'll hang in there. And so today, we're, gonna, we're just going to review those three seasons and close with the destiny season. And, and first of all, you have this in, in your notes by way of review. We, we first saw Joseph in the dream season. The dream season. And that, that's not the season the Broncos are having right now. Although we hope that's a dream season with a great destiny in the end. But this dream season for Joseph was a time, you know, where God gave him this incredible dream. And, and when you're in the dream season of your life, it's a time of, of excitement. You're excited about the journey Because you haven't had to face the receipts of the journey yet. It's kind of like getting ready to go on vacation. You're really excited to go on vacation because you haven't had to face the receipts of the cost of vacation. And so the dream season is really exciting. But unfortunately, a lot of people stop dreaming in the dream season when God gives them those dreams that He has for their life because they start thinking too much about the cost. What's it gonna cost me? What's the desert gonna look like? And unfortunately, other people can discourage you in the dream season. You feel like God's doing something in your life and he gives you this dream. And cynics will come around and say, well, that sounds good, but you just wait. You just wait. He'll turn bad. She'll turn bad. You'll lose your job. And people can get very cynical. Uh, Someone once described a cynic this way. They said, a cynic knows the cost of everything but the value of nothing. And I would just say it this way very practically In your life, when you're in the dream season or you see other people in the dream season, don't discourage them. Don't be crotchety. Do you know what it means to be crotchety? Just don't be that, okay? Let let people dream. Let God do what they're going to do. Now, here's the good news. In Joseph's story, he never stopped believing in God's dream for his life. He never stopped dreaming. He didn't let anybody steal his dream away. So we saw him in the dream season, but then the dream season quickly turned into the desert season. The desert season. And we face the desert seasons of our life. Sometimes it can be a long time between the dream and the destiny. We can also call this the dots of our life. Not the days of our life. The dots of our life. What do I mean? You know, God says, okay, I'm going to do this. Dot, dot, dot. To be continued. I'm going to do this, but it's going to take some time. You're going to have to wait on this. And sometimes the dots and the desert times in our life, sometimes they last days. Sometimes they last weeks. Sometimes they last months. And sometimes they last years. But it's during the desert times of our lives, the desert season and the dots of our life, that God is shaping us. And God is preparing us for the ultimate destiny and dream that he has. We've certainly seen that in the story of Joseph. And it's during those dots and desert seasons of our life that we can feel abandoned. Like Joseph, who was abandoned by his brothers, his own family. Abandoned, you know, by other people in our life. Like Potiphar. You know, one minute Joseph is the right hand of Potiphar. He exalts him to that place of prominence. The next minute Potiphar's throwing him into prison and abandoning him. You know, the butler promised to remember him and then he forgot And we have to hang in there because the feelings of abandonment can come in during those desert seasons of our life and dots. But that's the time when God wants us to completely trust on the one who never abandons us. The one that never forgets us. The one that never leaves us or forsakes us. And how many times have we seen the phrase in Joseph's story, it says, This was happening to Joseph, but the Lord was with Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. And just like the Lord was always with Joseph during the desert season of his life, he's always with us. And here's one of the things I love about the church, the family of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all going through different seasons of our life at different times. And so when you see someone, let's say maybe you're in the dream season or destiny season and you see someone in the desert season, that's when you can reach out and you can say, hang in there. I've been where you're at. I know what it's like. I know it's difficult. I know it's tough. I know you feel alone. I know you feel forgotten and abandoned. But hang in there. God's going to see you through. And we can encourage people when when, when we see them in the desert. And when we're in the desert, we can look up to those people that maybe are in a good season of their life with the Lord and things are going well and say, listen, I don't know how you got there, but I'm I'm on my way. I'm hanging in there. I'm going to have faith. And we can help and encourage each other through the different seasons of our life. Amen? And that's why God brings us together as a family to receive that encouragement and help. And so we see, we've seen Joseph in the, in the dream season, in the desert season. But today we're going to close out his story looking at the destiny season. And this is what we've all been waiting for to see what this ultimate destiny for Joseph is going to look like. The destiny season for Joseph. And. We, I, I encourage you guys last couple of weeks to read chapters 41 to 43. Because we're, we're not going to be able to, for time's sake, cover all of them. We're going to pick it up in chapter 44. So I'm going to quickly bring you up to speed. If you haven't read that, go back and read the details. But in chapter 41, the destiny season begins to take shape in Joseph's life. And here's what happens. He was forgotten in jail, in prison for about two years. And then the Pharaoh, the, the king, the ruler of the land, had a dream himself. And in this dream, he dreamed first about seven healthy, fat, healthy cows. He dreamed like these Dwayne Johnson rock cows. And he had this dream about these really awesome seven cows. And then he had another dream, but it was seven really lean, unhealthy, ugly cows. And he's like, what's up with these seven good cows and seven bad cows? And he's trying to get somebody to interpret his dream and nobody can be found. And then the butler, finally, after two years, he's like, oh, By the way, there's this guy named Joseph, and he interpreted my dreams in prison, so maybe if you get him out of prison, he could interpret your dreams. And sure enough, Pharaoh brings Joseph in, and Joseph is able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, the king, the ruler of the land in his palace. And what he tells him is simply this, and God gave him the interpretation of the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty in the land. I mean, there's going to be more grain than we know what to do with. That's the seven healthy cows. But then there's going to be seven years of famine. And if you don't prepare for the seven years of famine... Everybody's going to die, and there's going to be no food. And so this was life-changing for Pharaoh and for those in Egypt. And I just want to show you one verse. I think we're going to put it on the screen. Uh, Chapter 41, verse 39. It says this. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, Joseph, interpreted this dream, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And he goes from the prison to the palace, second in command of Pharaoh of the entire land. And his destiny is starting to take shape. And then Joseph, so he goes from this pit to this prison to the palace. Now, Now, he's gone from prison to a palace. Now, I mean, he's got camel chauffeurs. The servant now has servants. He's got HD cable. He's got high-speed internet. Probably got a Starbucks next to his room. He's given a hot Egyptian wife. It's all in there. You can read this later. I mean, he is set up. I mean, he goes from the prison to the palace. And we tend to think through our human eyes that he has finally arrived at his destiny. And this is the culmination of his dream. I mean, he's second in charge of the land. He is set up, man. He has got it made. But that's just the beginning of the destiny. It's not the end of the story. Because the rest of the season of his destiny may have been the most difficult season of Joseph's life. Because he's got some major decisions to make with his family and his past. In chapter 42, what begins to happen is, remember his family is back in Canaan. Jacob, his father, and all of his brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery. And the famine, when it hits the land, it hits them as well and so Jacob sends all the brothers except the youngest which was now his new favorite because Joseph he thought was dead he sends all the other brothers except for Benjamin he sends them to the one place that has grain because they prepared for it, which was guess where Egypt and guess who is in charge of the grain guess who they have to go see and talk to Joseph their brother they haven't seen in over 20 years now at this point he's been in Egypt for 20 plus years he looks like an Egyptian he talks like an Egyptian he acts like an Egyptian He has Egyptian garb on. And when they show up, they don't realize it is Joseph, their brother. They think he is dead by now. He knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And they have to go and bow down before him and beg for food for their family so that they can live. And in Genesis chapter 42, verse 6, it says this. Now, Joseph was governor over the land of Egypt. And it was he who sold to all the people of land, which is who his brothers had to go see. And Joseph's brothers came. And what did they do, church? They bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. This was the dream that Joseph had, that his brothers would one day bow down before him. He knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. And so then he begins, you have to read the details of the story. He begins to kind of play tricks on them. He begins to test them. And he says, he goes, now don't you guys have another brother? And they're like, yeah, we do have another brother. He's the youngest, Benjamin. And he's back home. And he goes, well, listen, if you don't go back and get him, because he wants to see that's his other full-blood brother the youngest, Benjamin. And he's like, if you don't go get him and bring him back to me, I'm not giving you any more food. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to keep one of your brothers, Simeon, as ransom until you come back to me. And that's what happens. And so he sends them back to the father, to Jacob, and they're like, Jacob, they've got Simeon. You know, this, this guy, they don't know it's Joseph. This ruler, this governor said, if we don't come back with Benjamin, then we can't get any more food, and they're going to keep Simeon. And Jacob's Jacob is like, listen, I already lost one of my sons, one of my favorites. I'm not going to lose another. And at first he refused to allow them to go back. But then the famine got so difficult he had no choice but to allow them to go back. And all the brothers went, including Benjamin. And then they show up again uh, to be- before Joseph, not knowing it's him, and in chapter 43, verse 26, it says this. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into his house. And what did they do? Again, they bowed down before him to the earth. All of them did before Joseph. Still not knowing who he was. Now, here's what's interesting as we go into chapter 44 today. Jacob did not want to allow Benjamin, his new favorite son, his youngest son, to go because he was afraid something bad would happen to him, like what happened to Joseph. And and Judah, one of the older brothers, said, listen, I I will take responsibility. I promise we'll bring him back. You know, he'll be okay. He'll be untouched. And so they finally show up. All the brothers are there before Joseph. And the stage is set now for this ultimate destiny and plan of God to play out. And we're going to see four things that happen today. We're now up in, in chapter 44. Okay? First thing that we see that takes place is there's a Confrontation. There's a confrontation between Joseph and his brothers, and they don't know who he is. Chapter 44, beginning of verse 1. And Joseph commanded the steward of his house, his servants, saying, fill the men's sack with food, because remember, they had come to get food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of the sack. He's like, I'm going to pay them back. He's wanting to take care of them, but they don't understand all this. And also put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack of the youngest. Now, who is the youngest? The youngest is Benjamin. This is his true blood brother, okay? Benjamin, full, full brother. He says, put the cup in the top of his sack and his grain money. So the steward did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city and they were not yet afar off, Joseph said to his steward, now get up and follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? And he's going he's gonna to accuse the brothers of stealing his favorite silver cup, okay? Even though they didn't do it. They didn't know the cup was in Benjamin's bag. It is not, is not this the one from which my Lord drinks, with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. They're like, you, you took Joseph's Harry Potter goblet, is what they're saying here. Now, this is an interesting passage that has tripped a lot of scholars up for years. Because why is Joseph a Hebrew man of God? Why does he have a Harry Potter goblet, which was known of the Egyptians and doing kind of all these witchcraft type things? Well, it doesn't say that he did this. It just says he had this. He's playing the part of an Egyptian. He's trying to convince the brothers. Hey, look, I'm an Egyptian and I have a cup like all the other Egyptians. It's not that he's doing it, but he's playing the part to fool them. And so, verse 6, so he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words. And they said to him... Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such thing. They're like, We haven't stolen anything. What are you talking about? Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which was found in the mouth of our sex. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Talking about Joseph. With, and now they make a really dumb statement in verse 9. The brothers are so convinced they haven't stolen this cup, they go, With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. This was a dumb statement. This is like getting pulled over by a police officer and saying, I promise I wasn't speeding. If I was, you can take me to jail right now. And he pulls out the radar gun and goes, We're right here, 57 and a 45, you know. I mean, they didn't realize they'd been set up. And he said, verse 10, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave. Now remember, Benjamin the one Jacob was most concerned about, the cup is in his bag. Joseph had it put there. He to whom it found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack, because they thought they were innocent, to the ground, and each one opened his sack. So he searched. The steward searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in whose sack, church? Benjamin's sack. And then, what did the brothers do? They tore their clothes and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city to go before Joseph. I mean, they are freaking out. Because Benjamin has the cup and he's either going to die or at least be a slave. And Jacob, their father, has already lost one favorite son that he's had to live with. Now, it could happen again. This is exactly what Jacob was afraid of. They knew how Jacob would feel. And they are tearing their clothes in in just grief. They can't believe what has happened. Now as you read this story, and especially if you go back and you read chapters 41 to 43. And Joseph keeps messing with his brothers. You you might tend to ask yourself, is Joseph being mean to his brothers? Why does he keep doing this? They, They still don't know he's Joseph. All of this was a test. He was testing his brothers you'll see it in the story that Joseph was quick. He had already forgiven his brothers. But there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. We should, as Christians, be quick to forgive, but slow to trust. Trust takes time. Trust is earned. You know, we've, we've told that to our kids sometimes. Listen, they do something wrong. We forgive you, but you're going to have to regain our Trust. That's what Joseph's doing. He's trying to find out. I already forgive my brothers. I love my brothers. I already know this is part of God's plan. But can I trust my brothers? Have they changed? Are they going to leave Benjamin behind? Like they left me behind? What, what are they, he's, he's testing their heart. And this process of his interaction between him and his brothers was over two years. Time. Testing them. Seeing if their heart had changed. And so he confronts them with this to test their heart. And then... There's a confession that is made by the brothers. We move from a confrontation to a confession. Look at verse 14. We see this confession. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. There they are again, bowing down to Joseph. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Again, he's still playing the part of the Egyptian with the Harry Potter gobbler. Notice he doesn't say, I do. He says, I can It's a difference. Then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? And then he makes a statement that is so key in this whole story. This statement shows the heart change of Judah and the brothers. And he makes the statement. He says, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Now, he can't be talking about taking the cup because they didn't take the cup. There's some other huge sin that, that, that Judah and his brothers have committed that God has now found them out. Guess what that sin is? It was what they did to Joseph some 20 years before. And he's, he's realizing we're reaping what we sowed and we're dealing with all of this because of what we did to our brother. And Joseph hears these words. Here we are, Judah says, my Lord's slaves, both we, we and also with whom the cup was found, which was Benjamin. But he said, Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave, which was Benjamin. Which was the brother he wanted to see the most. I think that Joseph had in his mind at this point, if his brothers didn't pass the test, he would just keep Benjamin, probably then reveal himself to Benjamin, and he would take care of him. And he's like, I don't need the rest of you guys. But I'm going to keep Benjamin. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant. For you are even like Pharaoh. You have the same power power that Pharaoh has. And Judah confesses here their guilt of what they had done to their brother. And, And he passes the test. In the eyes of Joseph, he shows a a true repentance and a life change. And and it's interesting that Judah is the brother that does this because if you study this whole story of these brothers, Judah is certainly the most wicked of all of them and the most sinful. Remember whose idea it was to sell Joseph into slavery? It was Judah. He said, let's not just leave him here. Let's at least make a buck off of him. It was Judah. If you read chapter 38 of Genesis, there's this, this horrible story of Judah... He wants to find a sex partner, and he goes after this, what he thinks is a harlot, a prostitute. He has sex with her, ends up finding out it is his daughter-in-law. I mean, Judah is probably the the most sinful, wicked, conniving of all the brothers, and yet he's the one here standing as spokesman, admitting guilt, admitting sin, showing repentance and confession. And in Judah's speech, from verse 19 to 34, you can read it later, he gives... One of the most beautiful speeches in the book of of Genesis. And the longest speeches. And he begs for mercy. And for the life of Benjamin. So much so is he concerned now. And has a heart change about Benjamin. Different than what he felt about Joseph. That in verse 33 he says this. And I think we, we have that on the screen. We can put up there. Verse 33. No. I'll read it to you. Verse 33. We've got it right here. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. You know what Judah does here? He says, Listen, I, I, my father cannot bear to lose another son. Take me in place of him. I'll be your servant. Let him go. He offers himself as the substitutionary sacrifice in place of Benjamin. Showing true confession and repentance. So we've seen this confrontation among the brothers. We've seen this confession of Judah being spokesman for all the brothers. But now the question is, how will Joseph respond? How will he respond to this confession? How will he respond to this repentance? How will he respond to Judah, who is now willing to step in and be a slave to to free Benjamin? Something completely different than what happened to him. (laughs) And how do we respond to people in our life who have done us wrong? I mean, who could show up on your doorstep this evening and say, I've changed? And you'd have a major decision to make how you would respond to that. What parent, what spouse, what sibling, what friend you once had who did you wrong could show up and beg for mercy and repentance? And how would you respond to that? You see, we all carry around a bag of rocks in our life whether we realize it or not. It's the rocks that have been thrown at us by other people and we've been hurt by them. And and what we tend to do is we hang on to those rocks until the day that we might be able to throw those rocks back at somebody else. And Joseph had a huge pile of rocks that he could have picked up and thrown at his brothers at this point. He has a decision to make. How is he going to respond to Judah and his brothers? What is he going to do with his rocks that he's had all these years? Well, let's see what happens. Because there's a compassion that takes place. Look at chapter 45, verse 1. After... Joseph hears this speech from Judah. Verse 1 of 45 says, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him in the palace. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He's, he's, Joseph's a crier. And he, but he's a man. He's like, I'm not supposed to let other people in my palace see, see me cry, you know. And it's okay for men to cry under certain circumstances. Watching the Bachelor TV show is not one of them men. Let me just say that. That's for Jared, our student director. <laughs> That's right. But, but Joseph is a crier. And he's about to bawl his eyes out. And for the first time in over 20 years, he's about to reveal himself to his brothers, who have no idea that the man they've been dealing with, the, the, the second most powerful man in the land, is their brother Joseph. And he wept aloud. I mean, he is crying out. And, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Even though they're not in the room, they're like, man, what is, what, this guy's bawling his eyes out. Did he just win Miss America? What's going on? Verse 3, then Joseph said to his brothers, and I believe he said this. Because up until now, if you read the story, he has been speaking to his brothers through an interpreter. He's speaking Egyptian. They speak Hebrew. But I believe for the first time he spoke to them in their native language, his native language of Hebrew, and he said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. And he said it in their language, and they heard it from their brother. Now, what would be the next question you would ask? Mine would be like, why in the heck did you throw me in that pit? Why did you do all that to me? But look, he's you could tell that he's, he's forgiven them because listen to what he asked. His next question is: Does my father still live? He's concerned about his father. He's concerned about his family. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. That may be the biggest understatement in the Bible. <laughs> dismayed? They were blown away. Their mouths were hanging on the floor. They couldn't say a word. They couldn't even answer the question. You're who? Wh- what? We thought you were dead? You're, 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 you're Joseph? They can't even speak. And, and they're probably thinking, I wonder if he remembers what we did to him. <laughs> they were scared to say anything. Now, watch what happens. Verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, plea, in their native language, he's talking to them Hebrew now, please come near to me. And they're probably like, why? So you can knife us? So you can strangle us? Throw us in prison? Why? And so they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. Crap, he does remember. (laughs) But that's not the end of the story. And I think verse 5 is probably the most beautiful in this whole story. And this is destiny. And Joseph says to his brothers, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Did you catch those words, church? Do you see Joseph's heart and understanding of what has been going on in the seasons of his life? He says, I know you guys think you sold me here, but God sent me here. And there's a big difference. You didn't sell me here. God sent me here. This was part of the providential hand of a sovereign God. And because Joseph knew that and understood that, he had a heart of compassion to his brothers. He wasn't angry with them. He didn't want to throw rocks at them. He wanted to love them and show forgiveness. I mean, But do you see this all happened after Judah and the brothers showed true repentance? See, that's the power of repentance. True, godly repentance repentance. The Bible says godly sorrow. True. There's a lot of people that sorrow for things they've done. But godly sorrow ends up with repentance. And he responds to this repentance with mercy and grace and love and forgiveness. Does that sound like anybody else you all know? Man named Jesus? And Joseph says, I love you, I forgive you, and I've seen the providential hand of God sovereignly working in my life and in y'all's lives. You didn't send me here. You didn't sell me here. God sent me here. God set me up here for a plan and a purpose. And then he goes on, verse 6, for these two years the famine has been in the land. That's why they were there, to get bread. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor, or harvest. There's, there's five more years left in this famine. And God, here he says it again. Say it, church. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God sent me here to save you guys. So now it was not you who sent me, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, the one you thought was dead for over 20 years. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. I've got this great place for you guys to live, and you shall be near to me. You and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all. He's like, Go get everybody, go get the whole family. You'll get, go, go get everybody else, get dad, get the sister, you know, get, our, get, get your you know, cousins, get your in-laws, bring them all here. And Joseph says, verse 11, there I will provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to be there, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years left of this famine. And behold your eyes and the eyes of your brother Benjamin. See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. He's still trying to convince them. He's really Joseph. But he says Benjamin. How does he know his name? Because he's his brother. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. And of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck. And he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. And moreover he kissed Not punched. He kissed all his brothers and he wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Man, I'm telling you, this is a made-for-TV movie right here. This is an incredible story. What amazing compassion, forgiveness, mercy, and grace that Joseph shows. And we don't have time. You're going to have to read it later. But then there's a celebration in chapter 45, 16 to 28. He plans this huge reunion and celebration. He's like, go get the party bus. Go pick up the family. You can leave all your old stuff. Leave your, you know, your trailers and everything. Leave those in in, in Canaan. I'm going to have all new stuff for you. He He takes his brothers on a shopping spree. Gives them some bling and some new duds. And he's like, go get daddy. And he plans this big celebration. You know what you're going to read in chapter 45, 16 to 28? It's extreme makeover Egyptian edition. You're going to see it. It's right. They got the idea for the show, I'm convinced, right here. And, he, and Joseph just does this lavish makeover of his whole family. <clears throat> and he lavishly blesses them. It's an amazing story. Now, before we close this whole series and this whole story, I, I want us to answer a question. How do we go from thinking we've been sold out by people in our life to believing we've been sent out and set up by God? How, how do we embrace the same thing in our heart that Joseph embraced in his, to go from a being victimized to being victorious, to go from trials in our life to triumphs in our life? How, how do we go from thinking we've been sold out to believing we've been sent out and set up by God? Because if we can embrace this like Joseph, it can change our lives and our perspectives and how we deal with other people and how we can arrive at the same type of destiny that Joseph did. And there's a couple of key verses that help us. And one of them is at the end of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20, when they're wrapping up the whole story of Joseph. And it says this, Joseph says to his brothers, now Jacob, his father, has died, and and the brothers think, well, once dad dies, Joseph's really going to get us then. He's only being nice to us right now because dad's still alive. Dad dies, and the brothers are a little concerned. Now Now let's see what Joseph does to us. And Joseph says this to his brothers one last time, but as for you, brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. What you meant for evil, God wants to use for good. I know there's probably many of you in here this morning that you've experienced evil by other people in your lives. But do you, will you believe like Joseph that what others have meant for evil, God can use for good? And not just good in your life? but good in other people's lives. You know, it says in the New Testament that we should comfort others with the same comfort we've been comforted. Well, you don't need comfort unless you've gone through the desert. Unless you've gone through trials. Unless you've been abandoned and felt alone and mistreated, stabbed in the back. That's when you get comfort and then you're able to comfort others. I know what you're going through. I've been there. Let me tell you how God got me through it. And then... The other verse that's key, that's parallel to this verse, it's in the New Testament. I've told you this before, and we quote this verse all the time. Joseph didn't have this verse. He didn't have this verse cross-stitched on a pillow. He didn't have this verse hanging on his mirror or his refrigerator like we do. But he lived this verse. It's Romans eight twenty-eight, And Paul said, and we know. Everybody say, we know. We know. Not we hope, not we think. We know as believers, as the people of God, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, just like Joseph. Joseph's story is, is an illustration of Romans 8.28 that we love to quote. And Joseph believed that he had been called by God, chosen by God, for a plan and a purpose. To save Joseph's life, to save his brother's life, to save his family's life, and to save the nation of Israel. We would not have the nation of Israel today had this story not happened. Because the brothers that all show up are beginning of the 12 tribes of Israel. They're in Egypt for 400 years, growing as a nation. That was uh, part of God's bigger plan. And if we didn't have Israel today, we wouldn't have had a Messiah named Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. It's all part of God's plan and purpose. And Joseph realized the piece and the puzzle that he was. And that he was not. Sold out, he was sent out and set up by God. And from God's perspective, church, some of you today desperately need to hear this. God has chosen you. God has called you. God has a purpose for you. And every experience in your life is shaping you and preparing you for the destiny God has for every one of you. Even the difficult stuff. Especially the difficult stuff. And God wants to do something in you so he can do something through you. Just like he did in Joseph's life to be a blessing to others. Jesus said this, you didn't choose me. You know, we think as Christians, we, I chose Jesus. No, he said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And then you responded to my invitation. I chose you. And I want all of you to believe today that God has chosen you and God has a purpose for you and your life. And he has a dream and a destiny just like Joseph. But yet sometimes we do have to go through the desert and the dots of our life. And the dream, now here's here's where we miss it. The dream of destiny is not when we've arrived. It's not when we've reached the pinnacle of our success. It's not when we've been blessed by God. The destiny God has for our life is that he can bless us so we can be a blessing to others. That's the destiny It wasn't just when Joseph went from the pit to the palace. It was when he was able to use that palace to leverage it to be a blessing to his family and to other people. God blesses us so we can bless others. What season of life are you in today? What season of life? Maybe you're in the dream season. Keep dreaming. Keep believing that God has a plan and purpose for your life. Maybe many of you, you feel like, yeah, I've got a dream, but I'm in a desert right now. I'm in the dots. I feel alone. I feel abandoned. Hang in there. Look at Joseph's story. Find encouragement. Find hope. Find some people that are ahead of you to encourage you. And if you see people in the desert, listen, family of God, let's help them out. Let's say, listen, I've been there. Hang in there. Don't give up. Hang in there. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a destiny. All things work together for good. And if you have arrived at what you would say, man, I feel like I'm in in God's destiny Life couldn't be better. God has blessed me so much and my family and, you know, maybe whatever it is, in whatever way, God has positioned you where you're at, not just for you to enjoy it for yourself, but so you can be a blessing to others. So that you can share your faith with others, so you can disciple others, so you can love on others, so you can host small groups, so you can disciple, so you can give to help other people if God has blessed you. I want all of you today to leave here, and leave the story of Joseph and Genesis believing this. I have not been sold out. I have been sent out by God. Because when you believe that, it changes everything in your life. Would you bow your heads this morning? Excuse me. Heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. If you're here today as a believer, you, you know you're a Christian. Whatever you're going through, maybe some of you today, you say, you know, I feel like I've been sold out by somebody or a situation. And you know that it's time to quit looking at it that way. You haven't been sold out. You've been sent out for, by God. And He has a purpose and a destiny for your life. And He wants to use you to bless others. Now, the heads bowed and eyes closed how many believers here this morning you'd say you know what I needed to hear that this morning I want to make sure my heart attitude changed I haven't been sold out I've been sent out by God and set up by him would you slip up your hand I'm in the desert right now and I want to make sure I embrace that thought slip up your hand for prayer thank you thank you thank you thank you all across this auditorium maybe some of you here today as believers you say you know I believe God has blessed me and my family so much and I need to be a blessing God is challenging me in that way would you slip up your hand for prayer yes God has blessed me he's given me a destiny I'm so grateful, and I want to make sure that I don't just keep it to myself. Thank you. Father, I pray for all the believers here today, those that are going through the desert, the dots of their life. I pray they would embrace the belief that Joseph did, that whatever they've has been done to them, however they've been mistreated or abandoned, abused, stabbed in the back, disowned, whatever, that they have not, what, what, what was meant for evil by others, you will use for good in their life if they will allow you to. And I pray that they would embrace the belief in those desert times that they have not been sold out. They've been sent out and set up by you. And that you have a purpose and a destiny to work all things together for good. And for those, Lord, that you've blessed so much, whether that be spiritually, health-wise, financially, whatever it is, their families, I pray that they would be a blessing to others like Joseph was. That's the ultimate destiny that we would be blessed so we can be a blessing. And with heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Man, there's so many beautiful pictures in this story that Joseph is a picture of Jesus. Joseph suffered for over 20 years so that he could save many. And Jesus suffered 2,000 years ago on a cross so he could save you. And forgive you of your sins and provide for you. You see, Jesus is our Judah who was willing to take our place to free us from the slavery of sin and set us free. And all you have to do is take on the attitude of Judah in the story and just confess your sins, repent of your sins. Throw yourself at the mercy of Jesus. And here's the great news. He will throw forgiveness, grace, mercy your way. He will respond to you the way Joseph responded to his brothers if you'll accept it by faith. And then he'll prepare a celebration, a reunion for Jesus and his family one day. And one day you'll stand before him and you'll hear those words from Jesus' mouth, I am Jesus. I'm your savior. I suffered to save you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you'd say, you know what, I'm ready to receive Jesus. I'm ready to receive his mercy and grace in my life. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith that you can pray. From your heart to God's right now where you sit it's not the words of the prayer that saves you but it's your heart and your faith and if you believe it Bible says whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved and if you're ready for the first time to invite Jesus into your life and receive his grace and mercy would you pray this prayer with me from your heart to God's right now right where you sit and it goes like this Jesus I believe in you I call on you to be my Lord and my Savior I fall at your feet in repentance. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my failures. Come into my life. Be my Lord and Savior today. Thank you Jesus for responding to me like Joseph responded to his brothers. Thank you for saving me. With heads bowed and eyes closed I don't want to embarrass anybody no one looking around but if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the very first time and you meant it I want to pray for you and your new walk with Christ and your new journey would you just slip up your hand all across the auditorium yes I prayed that prayer of faith for the first time today thank you anyone else just slip it up thank you yes anyone else thank you young man thank you anyone else yes pray for me I just accepted Jesus today as my Lord and Savior by faith would you pray for me in my journey with him anyone else Lord, thank you for those who put their faith and trust in you today. I pray their lives would never be the same. I pray they grow in the grace and knowledge of you that we as a church family of God would meet them right where they are and help them to grow and disciple them. And thank you for the decision today. Thank you that you are a God that never leaves us or forsakes us. Thank you that in the desert times of our life that we can believe that we have not been sold out. We've been sent out and set up by you. And that it is still true. We know that all things work together for good. To those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you for the beautiful story of Joseph. May we apply it in a life-changing way to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.